Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. Recording today in the Carl Chevrolet Studios. If you're looking to buy a new or pre-owned vehicle, Carl Chevrolet and Ankeny, Carl Chevrolet of Stewart are the places to go. Find them online at carlchevrolet.com, carlchevroletstewart.com. Today on the podcast, it's a new episode of the podcast we are going to be calling All Ball with Nick Graham and Jared Stansbury. Obviously, that's me. Anybody that's listened to the feed for a while knows who I am. I don't know why I explained it that way, but I'm just going to keep on going. And uh, we talk a lot about Iowa State's win over Oklahoma, some of the good things, some of the things that we'd like to continue to see here moving forward. And then we preview uh, the game on Wednesday against the Baylor Bears, as well as a little bit of a discussion about how the Big 12 has really become a elite defensive league in all of college basketball so far this season. Um, but I think that it was a, another good quality conversation. I will say too, I'm calling this episode three of the podcast just because we've done this like three of the last four weeks and we didn't have a name. Now we've got a name for the podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy this new episode of All Ball. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to the All Ball Podcast on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network with me, Jared Stansbury, and Nick Graham. We have a name for the podcast now. We just thought of it about 10 seconds ago before we started, and uh, I think that makes us a pretty official here on the network. Yes, sir. All right, man. We got a, we got a lot happier topics to talk about today uh, after Iowa State's win over Oklahoma Saturday night at Hilton Coliseum. I think that we can probably talk about the loss to Kansas a little bit as well, just as part of the overarching conversation about the team. But um, I think that, you know, my one of my thoughts coming out of the game was that it seemed like these guys really kind of – it seemed like they really found something in about the last 10 minutes of that game against the Sooners and uh, something that I think is – pretty replicable going through the rest of the year against the Big 12 schedule. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, like that, you know, uh, I mean, they play together. Um, I think the thing that's uh, good about this team, like I I like a lot of, you know, people that root for this team and just enjoy good basketball. I enjoy the the good team. And sometimes when you have really good players, um, really, really good players, They can you can win without being a team. And I think in order for this team to win, they have to be a team. Um, they have to take pride in the dirty work. They have to be selfless from the standpoint of I see this being a team if they reach their potential where one, one guy could play, you know, 28 minutes one night and then they could turn around the next night and play five minutes. Are they still going to be invested? Are they still going to have that energy on the bench? And so I think that's what you saw on, on Saturday, you know, is, is, you know, Terrence Lewis, his number got called and, and he played well. Um, and Trey, his, he played well. And, you know, um, Mike and Solo didn't play as much. Whereas, you know, this next game, uh, the way that Baylor plays, you know, they've got, you know, two um, bigs inside 
that they may play more, and I just think it's going to be that kind of year. Yeah, and I think that that's one thing that, you know, is, is kind of odd as, as Iowa State's roster is this season. The front court guys do give you a little bit of flexibility in the way that you can play. Um, I think that those guys do have to be commended a little bit, though, too, because, I mean, it was it was pretty clear, I think, in the last 10 minutes that that, that other group came in and really gave them a, a shot in the arm. And yet I thought Solo probably played with some of the best effort that we've seen from him in recent weeks. And then even Mike, after getting replaced, basically, and only playing, I want to say, five minutes in the first half of the game, I thought that he brought some good stuff in the second half that was maybe getting a little bit back to what he does well. And and that's what those guys are going to need to do, even in situations where, I mean, I think it's becoming pretty clear that that other, that, that that other group is probably Iowa State's best chance to have really high-level success but you still need those guys to, to fill their roles uh, when they're called upon. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that uh, you, you find the character of an athlete and of a person uh, when situations like that arise, you know, and I can, I can definitely relate to, to that because, you know, I played, you know, for my dad at Washington State and I was, you know, a role player. And, you know, there was – I would go stretches where I wouldn't play at all. Then I would go stretches where I would start or play 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And you find out a lot about yourself and find out, you know, if you're truly in it for the team. But I wouldn't expect anything less than the year I spent, um, you know, with, with both Mike and, and Solo. You know, whatever they're asked to do, they go do it. You know, Mike, um, I mean, he was uh, – if you just watched him, you would have thought like, during his transfer year when I was there, you would have thought that he was getting ready to go play on Big Monday versus Kansas. He bought it every day um, in practice and, and bought into his role even though he – wasn't going to play a single minute so I wouldn't expect anything less from those guys yeah and that's really even how I mean that's obviously how Solo ended up in I mean people are, are gonna always look back on on Solo's career I think with in a good light because of what he was able to do for that team in in 2016-17 when he was a freshman and he just you know he had to come in and kind of step in and, and replace some guys that uh, that had struggled and he brought something to the table for them that really helped turn around that year and I mean, I think that that's something that you could kind of see this year. I mean, like George, you know, who replaced him in the starting lineup, George had definitely earned that uh, earned that opportunity so far throughout the throughout the season. And I mean, I think that if anybody is going to understand what it's like to to be in that scenario, it's probably Solomon. So I think you got like I, I commend him. But I mean, I can imagine that it's still tough though too to uh, to see your team, uh, you know have have that much success you know when you're not on the court but I, I know that they're probably still happy for those guys at the same time yeah absolutely and then the the, the thing um you know uh, you, you and I talk all the time you know uh, we talk basketball you know all the time and just talk about you know wanting the best for the guys I think this is a blessing in disguise for solo because um I think that it's an eye-opener because like he's kind of get slapped in the face to his reality of basketball today. You know, a big group banger inside is great, but if he wants to, at the end of next year, really make money for himself, like, he should look himself in the mirror this offseason and be like, okay, I've got to add more to my game. You know, I've got to work on my lateral quickness and also basketball intelligence to figure out how I can keep guards in front of me, keep quicker guys, you know, not even guards, but, you know, when somebody goes to a small lineup because that's going to add value to him. That's going to allow him to be able to stand on the floor, like to be able to like 
uh, be able to guard, you know, perimeter-oriented um, fours and fives out on the perimeter. And then also be able to add more to his game in terms of, you know, his offense, being able to extend his range and, and really step out and be able to make plays like that. And those are things that, like, you can't just add to your game right now. Those are things that he has to be like, okay, like, if I want to level up for next year and then beyond this summer, these are two or three things that I have to add to my game. So hopefully he does that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I think too that's a, a pretty natural way for us to, to kind of transition to that group that, that really played the last 10 minutes of the first half for Iowa State on Saturday, and that was – uh, the three other starters in, in Tyrese, um, uh, Rajir Bolton, uh, George Condit, and then the three guys off the bench with Terrence, uh, Trey Jackson, and, and Zion Griffin. And mm-hmm. I think that you saw that group kind of, you know, cr- get closer to what we've talked about uh, this team mm-hmm. needing to be. And I think the thing that's so interesting about them is that when you throw all of those guys out there, they're all guys that play play really hard. And I don't think, and they're not necessarily going to be like the perfect, uh, like prototypical half court defense. When you think, you know, you think Virginia, you think Texas Tech, you think things like that. But they play so hard that they're going to create havoc, and they're going to get their hands on passes, and they're going to make it harder for the other team and be the aggressors and make the other team uh, match what they do. And that's what I thought you saw from. Uh, especially Tyrese. I mean, he was really doing a lot with uh, creating problems for Oklahoma in, in the passing lanes. Uh, I thought you saw that from Terrence. And then I think Zion, too. There was a handful of times where he was able to come in and, and steal rebounds away from people uh, just off of playing really hard. Yeah, no, Zion's a relentless uh, rebounder. He's an out-of-area rebounder. You know, he'll slide to the glass and just stay with that effort. And, you know, like you mentioned – uh, the West Virginians and the Baylors and and all those I'm sure we'll get in the Baylor uh, later, um, but it's it's not that they it's not the perfection that they play with on defense. It's the togetherness, um, the commitment to helping my teammate out when he gets beat. But more most importantly, the effort and the pride in the little things. You know, tracing the tracing the ball, trying to get deflections and different things like that. And you know. Um, Everybody needs to understand those are things that, that Coach Prom um, definitely emphasizes. I know because my job when I was there was to chart um, how many times we get three stops in a row, how many deflections um, we get in a half and different things like that. But those are the guys that take take uh, pride in it. And I know that coaching staff is happy because they, the effort group produce success. So what that forces the guys that maybe have a little bit more talent or playing more minutes, it opens their eyes up, you know, like it's one thing to, um, to preach effort and different things like that. But, you know, when the guys that are playing behind you are successful, it's going to open up your eyes and make you have to support and make you have to uh, play with more effort and make you have to try to get the flexes and be active and fight over the top of uh, ball screens like Trey does and get in the passing lanes like Zion does and be physical and different things like that. And obviously, for this unit, that's just going to give them a better chance to compete in this league. Yeah, and it's just one of those things that, you know, when they're able to play like that, it makes it easier for them to get out in tra- into transition. Um, and it it gets it to where you can create some easier offensive opportunities for a team that even with that group is still, and even on it, I mean, on this night, like 
you get Trey Jackson hitting shots, which was a huge plus. Uh, Terrence comes in and plays really well during that stretch. But, like, that still is not an offensive group that's probably going to run you out of the gym most nights. They have to be able to figure out a way to create some easy opportunities, and, and they were able to do that. And I think, I think another thing that was, that was good was that they went to the – uh, they went to what I know what they call fist uh, their zone um, right when they put that group in the into the game and that was what ended up turning into uh, Terrence getting a steal on the backside and it's like you put guys into an opportunity where they don't have to think as much on the defensive end it's like let me like I got to do my job right here and then every, if everybody does their job like then we're going to be good and you don't have to f- be as quite as worried about like messing up on like on little things like does that make sense no yeah it makes a lot of sense and and i just think that like you know uh yeah they went to zone but the effort man like Mm -hmm. when when your effort you know when your effort is great you know it makes up it makes up for a lot you know and those guys like play so hard and they play together and yeah you're right they uh they committed you know they protected the paint they forced contested you know long threes and then they did a good job of digging out the rebounds and just pushing the ball up the floor, running the lanes hard, advanced passing the ball. And then on the offensive end, you know, like, okay, they're not, you know, they're not going to be able to create, you know, shots, you know, and go one-on-one and different things. But that's okay. Especially like Coach Prone, man, he, he's one of the best, um, best offensive coaches in college basketball, you know, drawing up, you know, keeping the floor space and playing with pace. You know when those guys when those guys buy in, so that ball was happening, that ball was hopping. There was a buy-in um, to what they were doing. It wasn't anybody trying to break it off and go roll. So you become a better player when you create rhythm shots. I tell like when I'm training and I and I try to you know um, tell the players that I work with is you know be disciplined enough to take and find out how to create rhythm shots. Well, that's what the offense did uh, yesterday. So I don't care if you're I don't care what kind of player you are, good player, bad player, whatever, your percentages are going to go up when you're taking rhythm shots. And so when you're spacing the floor, when you're pushing the ball up, they were getting the defense in rotation, forcing them to help, and then, you know, kicking it for step-up jump shots or driving the baseline, getting the the guy drifting to the corner. And I think that's really where Jackson got the majority of his threes, if not all of them. They were just drifting to the baseline, stepping into the shot, the easiest shot in basketball. So they cre- did a great job of creating easy shots for the throw. Yeah, and that's where you put out a video on, on Twitter today uh, with that I suggest people go and, go and check out um, if you haven't seen it already. It's, it's a lot about – I mean, it's all about Terrence Lewis and how he fits in the offense alongside Tyrese Halliburton. And, um, and that's something that he brings to the table that I think is, is, could be really good for this team moving forward. And, um, and that's his ability to, to cut – which he's always had. And I mean, I remember even when he was a freshman hearing about how good he was as a cutter. And it's like a, it's, that's one of those things that is kind of a lost art to an extent, I think in, uh, in the game where there's a lot of guys who, you know, are they, they're going to break you down off the dribble and all that kind of stuff. But then when you can find a guy who's a natural cutter, who sees space on the floor and is able to, uh, read those lanes and read a defender to find an open an opening to go and get an easy bucket. He got, I think, at least I think he got three baskets off of that, or at least three attempts at the rim off of that, where it was just him cutting to the lane and then Tyrese finding him instead of 
just standing around, which is what they've had some trouble with in the past where it's like everybody kind of standing around watching each other. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I, and I said, what I said in the video is, <laughs> sorry about that, I'm outside on the patio. There's a dog barking in the background. But uh, what I said in the video was, that was all Phil. That's not like a play call, you know, and that's just something that he, he's very, you know, skilled at. And if there's any young players listening, man, the one thing that you can take away from that is find a way to get on the court. Find out what you can contribute, you know. And, and so, like, if I'm T. Lou, like, I'm the best cutter on the team, and that may be seem like something that is understated or unrecognized. I'm the best cutter on the team. We have one of the best uh, creators, one of the best, uh, passes in the country. So, like, man, if I cut hard, I can find a way to play. You know, so I, I think that, yeah, like that, I think that, that they have a chemistry. I think that, like, with Tyrese and the way he plays, it creates easy baskets. It's always going to be there. Man, when you have somebody um, that is as gifted with the size and ability to get in the heart of your defense like Tyrese, he's going to collapse the defense. He's going to attract that ball. And there's going to always be opportunities to cut, especially when you have good spacing, as Iowa State does. So, yeah, and it's and it's even better because then when Terrence is a guy who has been one of the more consistent shooters on the team, especially in catch and shoot situations, you know, then you're putting even more pressure on whoever is defending him because he's got to think about the fact, like, okay, he could back cut against me right here, or he could stay out at the three point line, and I've got to be ready to close out hard, and that's where it's like they fit together really well because t everybody's going to pay a lot of attention to Tyrese and he's always going to draw a lot of eyeballs. Okay. But then you've got this guy who is multifaceted in the fact that he can, he sees space really well. So it's like, he could try and run right past you or he could, you know, like he, he can step out and be able to knock down shots from deep. So, uh, I mean, I think, I think that this game was a perfect, perfect example of what he brings to the table and why he really fits well with Tyrese uh, and, and, deserves to to earn some minutes going forward because I do think that cutting ability is going to be especially important against a team like Baylor uh, that is elite defensively. I mean, might be the best defensive team in, in all of college basketball. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have a, a, a breakdown that I'm going to put out. I actually did it like a few weeks ago of just their defensive possession. The thing about Baylor, uh, you know, defense is they've done it all year. I mean, they've done it against the good, the good competition, the bad competition. They, they're, they're really committed and dialed in on, on all levels. But the other thing that, yeah, going back to T. Uh, Lou, is it puts the defense, it forces the defense to make a decision. You know, like there's that clip where Tyrese drives the nail, T. Uh, Lou gets away. Now the defender, because Tyrese is going to beat his man. He's going to create angles. He's going to get started the defense. He's going to beat his man now the defender is going to pay for that help on Tyrese. So I guarantee you, like Baylor is saying, okay, Terrence Lewis, you know, we've got to get out to him. And the other thing that T. Lou does do is he gets it off quick. Now, what T. Lou has to do is he has to just, you know, become a smart, just a smart defender, you know, make sure that he keeps defenders in front of him, make sure that he, that he uh, understands the rotations on defense, take care of the ball, play with effort, um, and then just take good shots. You know, just take, be patient and take good shots. I think if he does those things, that he will uh, continue to carve out playing time and really help his team. Like, I think that they need him to earn coaches' trust because of the things you just said. 
Yeah, and I think that that's, that's the one thing about Saturday night that, especially in the first half, that I really liked is it was like one of the first times this season where I felt like we saw Coach Prohm really show trust in those guys. And once – I mean, those guys can sense when when their coach really trusts them. And it's like you allow them, you know, not like to an egregious level, but like to make some mistakes and stay on the floor. And, and you kind of roll with them and it's like, all right, my guy's got confidence in me. And that's where – and that's what that first time really that I felt like, you know, all three of those guys really got an opportunity to go out there and just like – and just play free and not have to be worried about the fact that they might get taken out if they make one mistake. Yeah, no. You know, when you play with that freedom, you can you can be yourself and you can, you know, yeah, just be the be the best version of yourself. And it's a two-way street. Sorry about that. It's a two-way street. You have to, uh, you know, you have to earn your coach's trust in in practice to earn that opportunity. And another thing I, I tell, you know, I get that all the time. I mention all the time how I mentor players. You know, you get role players that say, I make, you know, I just make one mistake and I'm coming out of the game. Well, then if that's the case, man, then you got to develop, uh, you got to get some time in the gym to where, you know, you don't make that one mistake. It just is what it is. But no, they, they're doing a good job. I think that it's important for those guys to continue to get confidence. Like I said, I think it's just going to help the overall team. I think that we all respond. We all are better, you know, when we get a little pressure. So they're putting pressure on the people that are playing in front of them not to get too comfortable. So it's all good. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's where in the second half I thought you saw Prentice come in and play some pretty good minutes, especially better minutes than what he played against Kansas on Wednesday. And and then Roger Bolton scores 23 points and was really playing downhill, attacking the rim. And, and I think that you, you saw both of those guys really get to closer to what you need them to be. Uh, and they weren't settling for things. They're they're going, you know, they're attacking and uh, and they're getting in the lane and, and and then they're opening things up for other people as well as themselves. No, no, you're spot on. I, I think that, you know, I like downhill. Oh, I love it when he, I mean, he just has a knack to get downhill and he, he apprenticed to me, you know, uh, I think they're like, I think that they're best when they play like we all do when we when we used to work on our game. You know, when you used to work on your game, you used to start in close. You didn't just start shooting threes. You start in close, and then you build yourself out, right? I think there. I think both of those guys are those kind of players. You know, like uh, I think Prentice is a much better player when he starts the game trying to get paint touches than to just settle for a three. You know, um, I'm not. I love Prentice. I love his game, but you know his strength. He's not like a knockdown three-point shooter and that's okay you know he's not you know donovan jackson but donovan jackson doesn't have the ability to get in the paint like him and i was like that i'm a i'm a good shooter when i get in rhythm get myself in rhythm you know but just you know say for example uh you know like uh uh jimmer for day obviously i mentioned him because i trained him but like jimmer can just get it going like that's a gift to just come out your first shot of the game and be able to just launch it from 24 feet and everybody in the gym thinks it's going in. Most of us have to, like, try to, unless it's just some sort of uh, penetrate, drive the nail, just step up three, I don't even want to shoot a three my first shot. And so I think both of those, when those players make it up, when both of those players make it up in their mind, I'm not settling for three. There it is. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't settle for three. Let, if, let the three ball come to you. When it comes to you, you'll be good. But you guys are both so good. They both have the 
the advanced motor package and all that kind of stuff, so the game is much easier. And you're exactly right, like with Prentice. Second half, he comes in the game. He comes off a curl. First half, he probably would have shot a three. He comes in, he gets in, takes one dribble, gets in the paint, and gets his little floater, which was a really high-level shot, but it's one that he's accustomed to make. And I really do – I think that does play into the fact that he knows, like, man, if I come out here and I settle for, for not playing to my strength, coach might take me out the game. And everybody was better for him playing in that mindset. Yeah, and I think that's especially true when you see the way that Trey Jackson came in and played – where he knocked down, finally knocked down a couple three-pointers. And I thought that you saw as the game went along, after he saw one go in, it was like, it was like the finally the lid was taken off the basket for him. I mean, I think he was like, yep. he was something like three for his last 20 or something like that. And once he saw one go in, it was like an exhale. And he's like, Whew, all right, I got it now. Yep. Like I'm back and, I, and I've, got, I've got this thing down. And I mean, I know he can shoot the ball. I mean, I, I watch him in warmups and stuff like that. Like he's... He, he's hitting six, seven, eight in a row. And it's like, so it's not like he's got a nasty shot or anything like that. He just can't shoot the ball. It's just like, man, he just needed to see one go in. And once he saw one go in, uh, it was like a weight lifted off his, off his shoulders and, uh, and, it, and he stopped pressing. He was shooting the ball with a lot more confidence. And when you know that, that's another guy that brings something to the table that can make things that pushes those guys in front of him. It's like, okay, well, now we know this. We got this guy kind of coming for us, coming for some of our minutes too, and he's playing well. And it's just it pushes everybody to keep playing, uh, playing better and playing to their strengths. Yeah, well, first of all, when you talk about Jackson, man, you just he's easy to root for. You know what I'm saying? Because, man, he does the little things. He's 100% bought in. He brings the effort. And, I mean, as the, in the case with that block, at Kansas, I mean, that was big time, and that was just all heart, hustle, and effort, and that's what he played with. And so it's just like, I know I wasn't the only one. When he made that three, I felt like I had made a three. I was so so excited and happy for him because, you know, he definitely deserves that success. So excited to see him play, like you said, now that he has that weight, that pressure of. And it's probably – I don't think that's pressure anybody's putting on him, but it's probably, you know, when you're not missing shots, you know you can make you put that pressure on yourself so you know good for him he deserves all the success he, he had in that game and what he's going to have in the future yeah and then the last guy we haven't really talked about I mean we've talked about him a whole bunch uh but that's Tyrese and I thought that it was really good for this team to be in a position where uh in the second half of the game Tyrese gets his third foul and has to leave and, and it looked for a second like Oklahoma maybe was going to have a, a chance to make a little bit of a run, but those guys were able to weather the storm without Tyrese on the floor. And I think that that was a big confidence, has to be a big confidence booster for them because in the past it was like, man, if Tyrese isn't on the floor, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And uh, maybe now he can, you know, we can get him into some scenarios where he has to only play like 35 minutes a game instead of all 40. <laughs> No, you're, that was one of my big – that was kind of one of my hidden gems in the game is the fact that they were able to be productive with him on the bench. They definitely needed that. I mean, Tyrese needed that. The players the, – the other players needed that. The coaching staff needed to know that um, because, man, the, the Big 12 uh, – Edric Dennis, uh, he's uh, the graduate transfer at TCU. He actually played high school basketball for my dad. Um, amongst other places, this actually this kid has went to like nine high schools and colleges wow. combined. It's a crazy story. 
But I ran into him before the Big 12 started, and I was just trying to tell him what a grind he's about to get himself into. Like, there's, you know, it's one of those things you have to go through. Like, you can't, you, you have to go through it to really understand what a grind it is. And so, you know, going through 19 games to 18 games on a schedule plus the SEC game, which is Auburn. So, I mean, it ain't like you ain't like you playing Vanderbilt. I mean, that's a lot to ask somebody to play 40 minutes, man. And so, you know, 38, 39, 40 minutes. So I think that down the stretch, you know, being able to find ways to get him, get him rest, you know, whether it's, you know, like pulling him out uh, minutes before the media timeout, you know, each half and different things like that. So I think that was huge for the team. Yeah, and then now we'll kind of shift gears a little bit, and I think that there's a, a conversation that will be really good, especially going into this game uh, on Wednesday night against Baylor. And that was something that Steve Prohm brought up after the game about the, the Big 12 really shifting uh, philosophies to being a, a, I mean, a, a very defensive-centric league. Uh, and you look at the, the – there was no coaching changes, so it's not anything like that. But just the way that this, team, this league is, is constructed this season uh, is, is very much centered around the defensive end. And I did, I did a little digging. I went and did some math uh, – to, to try and back that up. Uh, this year, go, I mean, through two Big 12 games, three Big 12 games, whatever it is, uh, all the Big 12 teams, or the, the average Big 12 scoring defense points allowed is 62.6. That's a full point lower than any other year since the league went to 10 teams. And uh, it's, the mo- it's the lowest since, or I mean, it's the lowest ever, but like the only time it's ever been close is 2015 when it was 1.1. Uh, it's 63.7. So it's like this league is very, very much uh, is, is going hard on the defensive end. And and I don't think anybody personifies that better than what the Bears are doing because they're average. They're, they're allowing like 57 points per game or something like that. Something crazy. Yeah. Uh, no. So like so the first thing is that's another reason it's important to be able to get Tyrese uh you know, rest when you can because the commitment to defense that you have to have uh, this season, you know, uh, is is a lot more demanding than it has been. And so, like, when I'm watching Tyrese play and his usage rate on the offensive end and, and how much he's depended on, you know, like, and you're playing 40 minutes, something has to get. You know, you can be – you could care. Your, your care could be on 100%, you know, like – your commitment to defense, like, but you're going to have to take possessions off. I mean, you just start. Mm-hmm. Are you not going to make it through the year? So that's another reason that he needs to be able to find um, opportunities to, to, to rest during the game and, and for them to play without him. So, no, yeah, here's the thing. Baylor, man, their defense, it was about two weeks ago, and I was talking to a good friend of mine, Sean Forrest, who used to coach at SMU here down here in Dallas. We watch all the games. We talk about them, and I was like, Man, I think the, I think that Baylor might be the best defensive team in the league. Call me crazy. He was like, you're not crazy. I was just thinking the same thing. Another friend of mine that used to play at Oklahoma State, Victor Williams, he was like, man, Baylor plays man-to-man now. A lot of people, so people that haven't watched Baylor, like this isn't last year's Baylor team. This isn't, you know, Pierre Jackson's Baylor team. This is a whole different breed. This is, they're playing 90 to 95% man-to-man. And they're good at it. I mean, they play on all three levels, starting with the point guard that eats you up. Uh, then their wings try to get in the passing lane. And then their bigs 
are, you know, they protect the paint. And then you got Vital, who is one thing about Vital, they're four. I mean, that's a tough matchup both ways. But on defense, he can switch out aggressively and not just contain a guard. He's committed and equipped enough to get out and bother and pressure a guard if they on a ball screen and switch out. So they're very versatile. They're very competitive. They're very physical. And, like, yeah, that's just uh, one of the many uh, Big 12 teams that's committed to defense this year. You've got them. You've got West Virginia. Kansas is, is really committed on the defensive end. Texas Tech, as we know, plays defense. Oklahoma State, I mean, <laughs> they have no choice but to play defense. I don't know if anybody saw that game, but they it's crazy. They scored 40 points. And if you watch that game, they were lucky to score 40 points. It should have been about 35. Kansas State's kind of in that boat, too. Texas, obviously, you know, you know they play decent defense. So it's a defensive league for sure. Man, I want – that would be remarkable if, like, Kansas State and Oklahoma State played a game that ended in the 30s, both teams. Final score, like, 38-32. It would, it would set basketball back about 55 years, but – uh, that would be pretty crazy to see. Uh, no, and I think, uh, I mean, I, I think the thing that just is, is so crazy about it is it's, and, and I was going to ask your opinion on this is it seemed like it was such a shift, like almost immediately, like it, that it's five points down from last season. And obviously the league lost a lot of really good players. I mean, you think about all the guys Iowa state lost, uh, I mean, you lose the guys that Kansas State had, Barry Brown and Dean Wade and those dudes, uh, or even um, the ones like, uh, I mean, uh, the guys that Kansas had uh, too. And it's just, it, I, it, I wonder how much of it is just they lost good players and how much of it too is could even have something to do with moving the three-point line back because I think that's maybe made a bigger impact on on like the game as a whole than what we maybe anticipated. Yeah, no, I think that it's, yeah, lost good players, moving the three-point line back. And then I think that uh, Baylor just committed to defense. You know, like when you watch Baylor play, it's not just like bad offense. No. You know, they are, they are getting after you. They are committed, and they're competing for pretty much 40 minutes. I don't I, – I, uh, Alvin Brooks, their assistant coach, is a really good friend of mine, and we talk all the time and, you know, check in. And I asked him how he's doing. You know, coaches always lie. I mean, coaches win a game by 50 points and they're going to tell you they're struggling. So this whole offseason, like, he's just been sandbagging, telling me that they're, they're not very good. But, like, clearly they've committed themselves um, to defense. Like, they really have. And then I think that uh, Coach Huggins at West Virginia, um, after last year, like, really recommitted, you know, them to defense at, you know, after last year, but the thing about West Virginia is that they don't, it's not press Virginia, it's more half court, which would lead to lower scores too. So I think that there's two teams, you know, that's 20% of the league that really made a commitment to reestablish themselves defensively. I think Kansas has an uptick. When you watch Kansas play, they compete a little harder than they did on defense. So there's three teams that have reestablished their commitment to defense. And I think it's interesting too, because Baylor specifically, is a team that when you look at their roster, I mean, they've got – I mean, basically everybody that's a contributor for them has been there for two years at least and some three, four years, like even five years, I think. They've got at least one redshirt senior, I think, that's in their rotation. And it's like 
when you've got guys that have been together for that long, you get a lot of, I mean, you just get that level of continuity. They all know each other really well, how they play and, uh, and you know, how they need to, to be together. And then, you know, I think that as those guys get older, they start to get more of an understanding just of the system and what it takes to play at that level. And then just like how important it is to be good on that end. If you really want to win at a high level too. Oh yeah, absolutely. The older your players are, you know, like they know what it takes. Um, you know, when you get, when you get a freshman, I mean, they don't know how hard it is to win at this level. And it doesn't matter what you tell them. It doesn't matter how much film you watch, you know, they don't know until they see it, you know? So it's going to take them a year to like be convinced. Then it's going to take them another year to kind of figure out how hard to play. Now you're a junior. So yeah, I, I def- that's a great point. I, I think that has a lot to do with Baylor's success. Yeah, and I think that that is almost what makes coaches like uh, Coach Cal at Kentucky. Like, that's what makes what he does so impressive. It, but at the same time, the, his best teams have been the ones yep. that are a mix of those really high-level freshmen and then the the guys who are like sophomores or juniors that are kind of the rocks. I mean, you think like the 2014 team that had Carl Anthony Towns, but it also had the Harrison Twins and it had uh, uh, Willie Cauley-Stein and like all those guys who had been through it once. Uh, and then, like, the Anthony Davis team had a bunch of guys like that who were, had been kind of holdovers from the year before. And it's, But that's, like, what makes it so impressive is it's like he's still, even this year, they come out at the beginning of the season, they're really struggling. You lose to Evansville at home. And now, I mean, they're starting to look more like what everybody was expecting them to be. And that's because it's like you get these guys to learn a little bit, and then they're like, oh, man, like, we can't just show up here and play like an all-star team of all these five-star recruits and beat people. Like we got to match this certain level of, of, uh, of intensity and, and bring it because we can get beat by anybody be- just because of, of the way they play. Yeah. Well, the thing that, that Cal has for the thing that Cal has going for him is, is like, man, like you're competing every day against a four or five-star recruit, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, everybody there is trying to be a one and done. And that's a realistic goal. So I think that the competition it's already produced because of that environment, you know, like it doesn't, it takes it off of you to kind of be demanding. And that's what I was saying about how great it is that, you know, uh, the role players were given a chance and they were productive with their chance, you know, because again, I can't really reiterate enough when the coach is saying, you know, this is unacceptable. We're not playing hard, but you're playing 30 minutes a game and you kind of have in the back of your mind, like coach has to play me. You know, a lot of players subconsciously aren't going to bring it as much as, like, now, man, I got to come in. I got to produce. I got to have energy. And if I don't do that, if I get taken out the game, I might not get back in, you know. So I got to make sure that I'm ready to go. I got to make sure that I'm engaged in practice and all that. So, All right. Now let's look uh, at this game against Baylor very specifically. Um, what, are, what are the keys to the game? What are the things that you're, uh, you're really looking at? So this is it. So here's the thing, man. I think that had Iowa State not played as well as they were, maybe they could have kind of. It would have been a perfect game for them to uh, catch Baylor asleep at the wheel. But because Iowa State played so good, you know they're going going to. I feel like have Baylor's attention. I think that for this game with with Baylor, they're number two team in the country. I just saw the AP. I think they should be. I think they are the number the best team in the country. Um, right now. So uh, it's going to be tough for 
Iowa State to come in there and win. Obviously, like we hope that they win, but at the end of the day, man, I think that at at Wednesday night, you know, we want to feel like Iowa State took a step in the right direction. You know, they took a step from the Oklahoma game and they're just stringing the right, playing the right way, playing together, defending all those things together. Then I think that that if they do that, you know, they have a chance to win, but really they'll feel good about themselves. And I think that the Tech game, like they have a lot of flaws. Um, they while they play hard, they don't. I don't think that they defend at the level that they did last year. You know, I would say can go in there and and beat Tech. I think that when you play these two games, you're just trying to play for a split. But specific to this game, this is going to be the toughest game that they played thus far, just because Baylor is talented on the offensive end. Um, and with their guards, I mean, they have uh, Macy Oteague, that's a great player. And then Jared Butler is a pro. I think he's underrated. He is a pro. I was uh, talking to a coach, and I was like, man, I think that he'll be, be a better NBA player than he is a college player because of the space. I mean, he can create his own shot. He can shoot. The one thing about uh, Baylor, sometimes on offense, they kind of – the ball gets a little sticky and they isolate it. So they do go through scoring droughts, but their defense has been so good that they've been able to withstand those those uh, scoring droughts. Texas, believe it or not, um, if Texas had any sort of offense when they played, they could have really made a game for it. It was like a four- or five-minute stretch in the second half where the score just remained the same because nobody could score. So, like, if you come in and you can handle their pressure and you can just be patient, you know, if you come in there and you're trying to shoot, you know, you're trying to take ill-advised contested threes, it's going to be a long night. But if you're tough with the ball and handle their pressure, like I said, you got to cut hard because their their wings really get out and deny and just be patient and work the ball around and create easy shots and then commit yourself on a defensive end. That's, that's what gives you the best chance. If you don't do that, it's gonna, like I said, it's going to be a long night because they are committed to rebounding. They're committed to, to de- defending as a team the whole night for 40 minutes. So you obviously have to do that as well. Yeah. And I, I think that uh, this season should just be further proof, proof uh, in against the, the folks that say that Scott Drew can't coach. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, this guy's, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. He, I mean, he's, he's proven it. I think over the last 15 years that he's about as good as anybody. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, he's been to eight NCAA tournaments in 12 yeah. years, four sweet 16s, two yeah. elite eights. Like, and now he's – I mean, I think this might be his best team. Uh, they legitimately Absolutely. could win the national title. For sure. Like, yeah, that's – again, going back to my conversation with my boy Sean, uh, Sean Forrest, uh, that's what he said. He's like, their national championship good. And they are. They're versatile. They got score. They can score. Uh, point guard, Davion Mitchell. I mean, he, he's going to be a tough matchup because he's quick. He's got to change his speed. He can get in the paint. He can shoot. He can score. But, yeah, the thing that I like – um, me and my dad talk about coaches. The coaches, uh, kind of like Bill Self, how Co- Bill Self loves to be a high-low guy. But then all of a sudden, when he had to go to playing four guards, and you have to make those adjustments. So, like, I think it's remarkable. And when I get a chance to sit down with my boy, um, Alvin Brooks at Baylor, that's what I want to find out. How do you go from playing primary zone to not just being effective as a man-to-man team, but go from that to being perhaps the best, uh, man-to-man defensive team in the country. I think that that's remarkable. How hard did they play and their ability to switch from being a primary zone team to just this pressure uh, man-to-man defensive team. I think that like Coach Drew, I think that he's just kind of got a, I think sometimes just his demeanor mm-hmm. uh, 
doesn't give him the respect because he's just kind of like a uh, he's just a really positive kind of like happy go lucky kind of guy. That's how he appears. That's his perception. You know, like when you think of somebody like Bob Huggins, you think of a no nonsense kind of guy. So I think people hold that against him and maybe don't give him the credit yet. But when you look at what he's done, and then when you look at Baylor, their program before he got there, um, one, where it was at, but even the history. I believe before he went there, maybe he's been to the NCAA tournament maybe four times. Yeah, I think that's right. Four times, yeah. 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 And that doesn't even include the fact that literally one of their other teammates murdered another one, or players murdered another one, and then they didn't have a – non-conference schedule his second season like literally didn't play a non-conference schedule two years later he's in the NCAA tournament like that's crazy yep yep and he's a perfect fit there I I think that that's a perfect fit for him his personality you know kind of what he stands for and stuff like that I think it's a perfect fit and the thing is is, man when they get that new arena um, I think that's going to allow them to really take the next step and plus they're in Texas and you know one of the things that I've really um, realize just being here, man, there are so many high major players. And all the players in Texas, they want to play in the Big 12. So, I mean, he's got that going for him as well. I'm obviously biased, though, because Scott Drew is the only one who's ever tried to recruit me. So, uh, <laughs> back in the day. So, uh, yeah. from, uh, yeah, me and him have uh, liked to joke about that at Big 12 Media Day. But, all right, man, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, brother? All right, sounds good, bro. All right. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to another edition of the All Ball Podcast. We'll be back again here in the Carl Chevrolet studios next Monday. Check Carl Chevrolet out at carlchevrolet.com, carlchevroletstewart.com, and we will talk to you guys again next week. Peace.